She's Julie Roxanne. And he's Alistair. And And this this is Far Out. A podcast about stepping off the beaten path and learning to live from our center. I think that has resonated with both of us a lot and is part of the reason why we've semi-stopped you for the last year and a half. <laughs> In a loving way. <laughs> yeah, I was when I first went down to the, the jungle, I was totally into it. I mean, it really feeds the ego. We're fighting for the good of Pura Medicina. You know, we're bad brujos and we're good curanderos. <laughs> ego loves that shit. Um, go into ceremony and uh, almost every time there'd be some sort of fight on the astral. And, and, um, pretty intense and crazy, but somehow we always won. Well, hello, beautiful people, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Far Out Podcast. Hello, hello. I don't say this often enough, but you're looking particularly great today. My my strategy is that if we just say that, people will tune in because they like to hear that. Oh, that's a they good like to get a compliment. That's such know? a Slytherin strategy, Master. <laughs> um, <laughs> we love you. We're happy you're I'm here. I'm Ravenclaw. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm Ravenclaw. Today we're talking to two of our favorite people on Earth. Yeah, Zach and Jess. Zach and Jess Poitra, our teachers, and... Very dear friends. Who have changed the course of our life <laughs> for <laughs> the much. last year and a half. That is not an understatement. Pretty much. They, if you don't know them by now, you should, but they run an organization called Hear Your Tribe, which is a circle of combo practitioners, and they offer combo inoculations, combo training, which we uh, just helped lead one, yep. uh, which was really cool. And they also work with plant medicines, uh, especially ayahuasca. And today, with them, we talk about Pura Medicina, we talk about being of service, Brujeria, Brujeria, we talk about building the bodhicitta body, we talk about Mahayana Buddhism and the way that they bring Eastern philosophies into their views of spirituality and Peruvian curanderismo, and becoming the hollow bone, it's it's a really cool conversation, like we always do have with them, so uh, just Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Zach and Jess, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to be back on your podcast. I know. <laughs> it's been a while. Been a it's been a year. It's yeah, been a year. Yeah. 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 Last time was in uh, Guatemala. Yeah. 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 In, our, in our little apartment. Yeah. I miss it. The view of the lake. Yeah, we... We just made it to Portland, actually, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we thought this would be a great opportunity to reconvene with you guys on the Mm -hmm. podcast and check in. Um, Lots has been going on, and we actually recently assisted on a combo training that you led with Krista. Krista is coming on the podcast soon. She hasn't been on the podcast (laughs) yet, and she's coming soon. Yeah, and it was just 
such a crazy experience. It was so, I feel like we learned so much. What would you have to say about our experience just briefly so we can kind of get into? Um, it was intense <laughs> <laughs> and it was a lot of work and it was extraordinarily rewarding and fulfilling and also personally just learned a lot. So we were assisting with Heal Your Tribes uh, facilitator level one and level two training. So this is training people to start serving combo for themselves. And I think one thing that struck me from the beginning with you two, since I first met you um, back in Guatemala, is just your commitment and sincerity to service in, in a way that I think is, you know, it's common here now that I've been around you and, and this, this tribe that's kind of formed around you. But it strikes me as very uncommon in my experience. And that might be a good place to start is around this, this sense of service, because it was also very obvious on these trainings, just the, the level of thought and intention and dedication to serving the people that came and preparing them with this wonderful medicine. And I think maybe that might be a good place to have you start kind of talking about what you're doing with the Heal Your Tribe training. Can I, I can get a little more clarity on, so when you're saying you don't experience people engaging in service as the thing versus, I guess, money or, or what have you, um, are you talking in the context of retreats or are you just talking in the world? In I general? think I'm talking more in the world in general. Yeah, yeah, and I, there's, a, there's a commitment that you two have had to this that was obvious when we first sat with you in Guatemala mm -hmm. uh, on retreat okay. and continues to this. I think it's only deepened as I spend more time and get to see more of the back end of things with how you, you both operate is it's just it strikes me as uh it's it's impressive i love how you, you don't even know what, are you so are you so steeped in this lifestyle that you don't even realize that it's not common no i i, I just wanted a broader context mm. because i'd be surprised and somewhat disappointed if people putting on any type of retreat would not do that or have that view. And I would imagine those that don't have that view and try don't get very far. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I totally get it. I mean, I, I was just curious exactly what you meant. I think it's hard it, it, having been in the professional world for much of my life. Yeah. When you're working for somebody, it's hard to, to shift that perspective to be, be of service, even though it's possible. I truly believe that. Um, and that makes life a lot easier. And I think that might be without us really knowing about it until sitting here now and talking about it. One of the things we hope happens through this work is people leave working with us, whether it be becoming facilitators of some sort um, or just through, say, inoculation or other you know, medicine work, bring more of that service to the world aspect to every part of their lives. And I, and I would say that I'm certainly, I don't have that 100% of the time outside of, outside of retreat either. <laughs> You're still human. You're, I'm still human. Good. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's part of our, our hope and our goal is to have people realize that, yeah, even if you're 
working in a corporate job somewhere, you are being of service to something greater, whether it's oftentimes difficult to, to, to <laughs> adjust one's perspective to, to, to that. But I think if we can, we can all do that, the world would be a better place, but yeah. tough, tough goal. I really, I think that that like holding space and making space for to, to be of service to the people who come to us also to then be of service to, to their people. Like initially that started out as with, with my connection to combo, it was very much about like healing and self-empowerment and combo really cleared my way in such an amazing and beautiful way to, to work with ayahuasca. And it really brought out like those aspects of myself that could step into that role. And now like it kind of coming full circle and, and now being able to train people to serve combo. I feel like it's empowering them to, to also step into that role and uncovering the, the power that each human has to connect back to their bodies, to connect back to the earth and connect back to the people of their tribe, so to speak, but to, to like give back to their community and give back to humanity in, in a way that's uplifting everyone. So I feel so much dedication in my heart to, to that particular aspect of service. And I think that's one of the things that I'm witnessing too. It's not just that you two are of service which is already inspiring to witness, but then you're really focusing a lot of your work, as you said, Zach, onto transmitting that and igniting that in other people. And you said something, which I feel like that's always what I bump up against, which is it's hard to be of service when you don't know what you're serving. Mm. You know, like I think a lot, of, like I think it's easy to have lost the connection to a higher power or spirit or these medicines that we work with. Like it's easy for me to find it's easy. It's still a hard path, but it's a lot more conceptually possible to consider being of service. If I know what I'm serving mm-hmm. and, and, and yeah. And this work allows, whether it be combo ayahuasca or dietas, what have you, that's the whole point is, is it it's allowing the, the veil or the blockage between us and Spirit, God, divine, however you want to say it, drops that at a minimum for a short period of time, hopefully a long period of time um, with that direct experience such that, yeah, if you end up going back after doing work with us or some, some, someone else, what, what have you, that that is like, oh, this is the service. It's not to this corporation, but rather this bigger thing. And, and, and even being a cog in the wheel of the corporation can still be a service to a bigger thing. Yeah. Um, again, God, spirit, however you want to say that. I think I have a really good example of that. And we've talked about this recently on the podcast, which is wilderness as medicine, because we just led to Yosemite trips or wilderness trips. And Prior to that, the last one we had led was before we had uh, ran into you two and started working with you. And our perspective on how we we really came in uh, completely different on those trips because of everything we've learned from studying these medicines with with you and seeing how you approach it. And I think I'll just say I think you 
undersell yourself a little bit, Zach, because, and both of you, you have incorporated that aspect of service so much in your life um, that from the outside, maybe it's normal for you, but from the outside, I think it's pretty refreshing and, and pretty surprising. Mm-hmm. And it's left, I know it's left a huge mark on me and it's really influenced how we approach our retreats because I don't think we would have come up on this on our own in quite this language, but now we think about it as we're serving wilderness medicine. Mm-hmm. And just having that approach to the retreats absolutely transformed them. It, it changed the way we did it. Um, I think it made them much more rewarding and fulfilling on our end. I think it also made them much more effective. And to something you said, Jess, and I've heard you say this before with Heal Your Tribe and, and what you're doing with Combo is you're not trying to build an empire. You are planting a garden. And I think that has resonated with both of us a lot and is part of the reason why we've semi-stalked you for the last year and a half. <laughs> In a loving way. <laughs> um, but we want to be, I, I think it plays into a large part of why we felt so compelled to be around you as much as we can is because it's so evident that, like you said, you are cultivating, I don't know exactly how to say it, but you were. I'll say it in the best way I can, but I think it's probably not perfect is you're cultivating individuals who will then go out and do this work as well. And you were really cultivating their ability to do it. And that was really attractive to us from the beginning. And it was really obvious that that wasn't just something you were saying. It was, it was obvious in the way you approach these things and your actions, um, that that's, that's really what you were doing. Um, so I wonder if maybe you might speak to that a little bit. Yeah. Um, Well, I fundamentally believe that people in general, um, probably just due to modern life and the way that it's set up, they they don't realize what they are and what they're capable of. And I like to talk a lot in, in the trainings. I like to talk a lot about everyone has the capacity to do this. It's just kind of dusting it off and uncovering it and connecting with it. But it's not that, you know, it's not that, somebody in particular, an individual is gifted. They may have had, you know, somebody may be gifted in that they didn't have to do much dusting off, but everybody has that spark, like that shaman spark inside, um, the medicine spark, and everybody has that, and everyone is capable of it. And that is my joy to see that spark alight and then continue to uncover it and feed it. I really, really love, I think it, I think the book is Intelligence in Nature by Jeremy Narby. I think that's the book. And he talks about the butterfly, like how um, the caterpillar, when it goes into its chrysalis, it starts to actually liquefy and what ends up being, there are these special cells called imaginal cells that then are the structure of the butterfly and they begin to wake up and then they start activating other imaginal cells. And that's how I love to think about what we're doing. It's like activating the other imaginal cells to, to build a new way to be as human beings. Which may actually be an old way of being. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's actually what I mean. An yeah, ancient, ancient way. ancient way. Yeah. I've recently... Both of us have recently been studying um, Alberto Villoldo, um, who has several books. And one of the big things he talks about is like, look, studying the same thing. We all have this this shamanic spark, and 
everyone can do it. Um, and sure, some people are going to need less removal of blockages than others. And some people want to do specifically that work. But the whole key thing, the whole point of this is to have each individual um, have a direct experience with Great Spirit, Divine, God, Jesus Christ, however you want to, um, however you want to say it. But that, without that intermediary, you know, I think a lot of people come or go <laughs> work with a quote-unquote shaman or curandero or what have you. From the West in particular, viewing them as, as kind of like priest, this intermediary. And yes, there is an aspect of that, but really it's quite different. Um, in the sense that there is a direct experience, so that there that we can't and we won't interpret. Um, that a priest will interpret and tell you what to believe and how to believe it and um, what you need to do and all that sort of thing. And oftentimes, particularly in in mainstream religion, there isn't a lot of direct experience. It happens on occasion. Whereas this is the opposite. We're, we're working from the angle of let's get a direct experience going and then let's talk about that and how to work with that uh, in a kind of a co-creative way. Again, we're not directing anyone, but we want to have some integration. We want to have some uh, skill as to how to uh, work with that, that direct experience. I really love that. And I think that really speaks to what the container that you guys are creating in these retreats and the trainings and the way that you invite us to relate to these medicines, to these higher states of consciousness is it's not like, you know, and we're following it's, it's more of a, we hold the space for you to experience what you have to experience. And that is something that continues to uh, humble me and, and, and like really, inspire me is like some of the things that happen on these retreats because of the space that you hold it's so safe it's so okay to experience and and every time there's like a the, that container gets set up I feel like I am part of something that is deeply sacred that has been happening since we were able to, since we were humans, since forever. And like that connection to that, like eternal, almost ancestral way of being, of connected to connecting to the sacred within is, it brings me to my knees every time. It's just like, I can't, and there's also so much grief whenever I connect with that because so much of our world is not that. And I find that these these spaces are so important to connect to the sacred. And I think going back to what Alistair was saying earlier about, you know, reframing the wilderness as like we're serving wilderness medicine. I've had a similar realization working with these medicines of kind of asking myself, like, what am I doing here? Like, what's the what am I doing? Because, you know, after a while, it's like, OK, I've been doing this. It's fun. What's the but point? What's the point? <laughs> and, and, and there was a clear, like, loud understanding or realization that I am here to serve these medicines. But I heard that phrase for the first time, not so much as I am here to give that medicine to someone else and like serve it. I am here to serve the spirit of it, which is becoming that 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 kind of empty channel and that hollow bone that we talk so much about uh, with 
letting it guide us and being the instrument of that. And that the job is to get out of the way and be the cleanest, clearest vessels with the highest kind of intentions when we enter these, these sacred spaces so that the medicine can work through. And all of a sudden, as facilitators, it's a really liberating kind of concept because you don't have to do anything, you know? It's yeah. like you let the medicine do its thing through you, through your body, because I tend to think like these spirits don't really have bodies. So that's kind of why we're here is to have the experience come through flesh and bone and voice. Uh, but it's this idea that we don't have to do anything except get out of the way. Mm -hmm. And that's like the hardest part. <laughs> that's what all the training is about. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's also, I uh, want to point out, you know, so many people start training or start hanging out with various medicines with this idea of being the person up front who's running the show. Great. No problem. Awesome. Um, that'll work out if it's meant, quote unquote, meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> so cliche. Um, and there are so many other ways that one can serve. You said, uh, Julie Roxanne, uh, during one retreat where Krista was taking care of our son, Bodhi, who was three, three years old. It was a couple months ago. And you were like, wow, Krista is taking care of Bodhi while this retreat is going on. It is because of her that at least 50 people over a period of time have been able to do this work. If, 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 Krista was not doing her service to the medicine in this case. Um, it could have been some other you know, yeah. <laughs> modality too. But um, through her service uh, and ability to help us out, the medicine was, was served to a shit ton of people. Yeah. And so, yeah, worth noting that there's a lot of stuff, um, a lot of ways to serve uh, around medicine. And again, it goes back to in, in the corporate world. Just by doing this medicine work, you go back into the corporate world, um, it ripples go out and people go, hey, what are you doing? There's something different about you. What did you do last weekend? Or what did you do, you know, over the, you went on a trip. What? And I noticed there's something different. What's, what's going on? Um, that starts to ripple out. Yeah. There's another nuance to this whole serving the medicine thing that I noticed when, well, I've noticed as we start to step into roles, assisting with that and serving it in a different way when we're helping train people. And I've also noticed it in our own retreats, which is the focus on like when we're, when we do the wilderness retreats to say, look, we're here to get you through the wilderness safely. That is as a guide number of, job num numero uno. But the, the other job um, that we've started to focus on is we're here to encourage, cultivate uh, your own relationship mm -hmm. with this medicine, not our relationship. Right. Like that's a model maybe, and maybe that's a doorway in, but it's, it's kind of, and, and that's, that starts to get in the tricky territory because there's that, there's an ego tendency to, I think, want to say how it sh should be or, or like kind of maybe step in and be the show, at least for me, I find that sometimes. But I, I've been very inspired by this notion of of helping other people really, because that's such a open-ended, it's so creative, it's so open, there's a lot of space there, rather than it's very narrow if, if my relationship with the medicine is how I'm 
trying to pass it on to other people. But it's so open-ended when it becomes, okay, look, we're just trying to get it started for you to have your own beautiful, creative relationship with it in whatever ways work with you and yeah. in, in this, in this medicine. And that is, can often be very, very surprising because people can work with it in many different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a little dicier when we're working with substances. Right. Right. Combo, ayahuasca, yeah. plant medicine. There are guide rails or... Yeah, you don't want to be (laughs) just going off on your own uh, after a very short period of time. Um, That's true. And what I see you doing, you you have, and that's part of the the lineage and having experienced facilitators. And at the same, so there are very, there are strict guidelines around that. Mm -hmm. And within that, we're seeing in these spaces, people learning how to relate with the medicine in their own way and that being encouraged. And so, uh, so it's like this kind of walled garden yeah almost yeah and overall no matter what training program we're talking about we want to give all of the knowledge all of our medicine all of our love um to the people for an amount of time that's appropriate that we feel confident that they're ready to 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 go out on their own and or go to another teacher Mm. if they want or go study something else that's that's great we just you know, have those guy guardrails, so to, as you put, until they're ready, kind of thing. And yeah. uh, we've been <laughs> accused of holding people back too long, uh, but that has not proven to be the case. And we are about to have our first graduate of, of our mandala program on the plant medicine side, not the combo side. And that's going to be great because we get to be like, this is what we're looking at. This is what we're looking for right here. And okay. people can have a, a specific example so that they know that we're not just holding people back. It's, our, our approach is it's better to be over-prepared and over-trained before you go out on your own right. than it is to be severely under-trained. And that, that's, that's something in shamanism, uh, particularly plant medicine shamanism, that happens a lot. They're like, oh, I can sing some songs and I'm really good. Actually, I'm a good musician and, and I, I, I know where to get the medicine, so I'm going to go do it on my own. That is questionable in, in our view. But we're psyched when, when someone's done the work and it's ready to go and we're like, yay! <laughs> we will, you know, we throw all our support behind people who fully commit and do the training. But, you know, that's, I think I talk about this in the mandala too, like right up front, there's a period of time around two years generally in studying the medicine where you have this moment and you think, I don't need them. (laughs) I can do this by myself. And, and when, but when you you start thinking that particularly because, you know, you hang out with us long enough, you see that, that Zach and I are human beings and we have our own faults, character flaws, foibles, and those then start at that point becoming very obvious. Yeah. <laughs> to you. And you're like, why am I, you know, why am I listening to those? Why am I listening to this class? But still, you know, the, I mean, you can see, especially in, I know you guys started, started sitting with us when Michael was kind of just starting to pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can see what dietas have done for him. Yeah. You yeah. can see what the training has done for him. Yeah. And maybe this would be a good time to maybe go into another concept that I find fascinating and we're learning a lot about right now because we are part of the mandala, so we are studying the medicine with with you, is brujeria. 
And perhaps you could give us a working definition of what that means and, and how it, what happens in, in this work around that. My definition of brujería is probably really different than what most people's definition of it is. And um, my definition of brujería would be using any power that you've accumulated um, through the medicine, whether intentionally or not, to impose your will on reality. So, I mean, that's all kinds of magic and manifestation fall under that category. So for me, anything that isn't opening yourself up for spirit to move through you with the intention of the highest and greatest destiny of all sentient beings is what it is. And why is it, uh, seems like a very big risk, particularly in plant medicine? It's a big risk everywhere. Yes. I mean, you look at politicians, they're practicing brujeria all the time. You look at uh, marketing. It's, it's essentially putting energetic pressure, whether it be through language, through actions, what have you, um, or even just energy, <laughs> intention, um, on people's fears, trying to control them, trying to manipulate them, trying to extract something from them. So it's uh, particularly in current times, I imagine it might be a human condition of just generally wanting, if the world was the way I wanted it to, to be, it would be all perfect, which we know is bullshit. I mean, intellectually, it's just not true. And yet we try to do that. And we can do that again through kind of um, current marketing, manipulation, what have you. But then you can also take it to an energetic level. So when you, particularly like ayahuasca, when you're in the ayahuasca state, everything is amplified. So my intention is amplified. Our intention is pura medicina, pure medicine. So we're, we're only interested in protection, healing, cleaning, and connection to the divine and the spirit. However, you can take that same intention and take advantage of somebody. Right. This is this is why one needs to be really careful about who they do plant medicines with, because they're as a recipient, they're wide open receiving whatever intention the facilitator uh, shaman is is providing. (laughs) And where it gets a little sticky is and this is where the training and all the dietas, the dietas are to clean out as much as possible our anger, our lust, our greed, uh, our desire to control and have power over others as much as possible. And we're still humans. And so it, it's a continual continual work and there needs to be a baseline. That's what that training does. It brings in humility. It brings in patience. It brings in all of these things. And, you know, if particularly around anger. Like if I go into ceremony and I'm pissed at somebody, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. In fact, if that ever were, I'd actually say that we're darn good at being annoyed with somebody who has done something during the retreat that we're just not happy with. We just think it happens. happens. And being able to put that aside, let's let's get to work and practice Bodo Medicina. That is part of the training. And that is why the training is so fucking long, Mm -hmm. particularly in the ayahuasca or uh, entheogenic space. It needs to be long because you're amplifying everything. Everybody's open. 
and it's going to come through. And it doesn't, we're not always aware. Uh, we've, we've had several experiences where we have to clean up someone, some other shaman's mess because he <laughs> that person hasn't cleaned up their sex stuff, their anger stuff, their greed stuff, their control stuff. I think this is the maybe, that that's what I wanted to maybe go toward is talking about brujeria being something that can be conscious. So I'm making that choice consciously mm -hmm. and using these powers that are accumulated through or harnessed through the medicine or whatever for their own personal reasons. Mm -hmm. But I think the trap or the one that maybe goes underestimated is the, the likelihood of that happening unconsciously, right? Which goes to why your training is so rigorous. Um, and I've definitely noticed that as we start to serve combo, as we start to assist in the trainings, you notice a lot of those unconscious patterns that come to play and the way they can affect your ability to hold space, your ability to serve people and, and how they can kind of, kind of mess things up. And so it's definitely, I've definitely become much more aware of the severity of, I think, of that and the reason for dieta and all the other things as we start to serve. Now, I wonder maybe if, if you would talk a little bit more about that, about how that happens unconsciously. And perhaps another question I have is like for anyone listening who's maybe choosing someone to work with, and I guess at this point, it doesn't really matter if it's plant medicine or not, right? We were talking about brewery being pretty universal with any kind of any, any situation where you might be sub submitting to a teacher or something like that, mm -hmm. or, or working with one, how would, would you, would you have a checklist? How would you spot that? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to start? Or, yeah. A checklist. A checklist. Um, okay, I don't. I don't have a checklist. <laughs> okay, how how would you spot that? Well, it's hard. It's hard to know when someone has reached a state of equanimity. But I think you can sense that in in somebody's aura. It would be hard to put put your finger on. But mm -hmm. just when you are with that person, you have a sense of peace and balance because they're transmitting it through their just state mm. of being. And it's not that it's not that somebody who's, who's done the training never gets, never gets angry or never act, acts on those things, but they have a, a very strong ability. They have trained their mind in such a way that they are not identifying with their thoughts the thought patterns that then can create emotions and, and ripple out through the body are, they're not getting caught up in their thoughts. So it's not doing that. So there's like a sense of like in their being, in their vibration, there's a sense of equanimity or balance. Um, but you have to like, you have to be with somebody in person to yeah. know. Yeah. I've got somewhat of a checklist. Uh, <laughs> okay. Unsurprising. <laughs> you did so, just send a bunch of checklists to me. Yes. <laughs> I like my checklist. So do the Buddhists. The Buddhists love. Oh, they checklist. do. Mm -hmm. You're right. All right. First off, baseline is training. Most of the well, the, the Peruvian traditions have the practice of dieta, which is arguably, when it comes to facilitating, more important than a number of ceremonies. I would argue quite strongly. And what can happen, you can spot someone who is trying to amplify or exaggerate their level of experience and training when you ask them, so what's your experience? And ask them what's their experience, not how long. Mm. 
It's very important mm. because someone who is trying to hide their actual experience will say, I've been doing this for five years. Oh, mm -hmm. that's impressive. Or I've been doing this for 10 years. Now, what you want to do is you want to say, so, okay, if they answer that 10 years, like, well, how many dietas and how many ceremonies have you done in that time period? Because you could be doing one dieta a year for 10 years or whatever, <laughs> two yeah. years or 10 years. Um, I actually met a guy who in Peru who said he'd been studying the medicine for nine years. And I was like, wow, that's impressive. So you lived here for, lived in here in Peru for nine years. And he's like, no, I've gone back and forth. Oh. Uh, so how often a year, how, how many times a year? Oh, twice a year. Oh, mm. how long did you stay each time? Oh, two weeks. So that's actually nine months <laughs> of actual study. So, you know, whereas at the same time that I had that conversation, I was in year three, living in Peru, doing nothing else but doing dieta and ceremonies, doing nothing, nothing else. That was it. So that time response of like, oh, I've been doing this X number of years is kind of a cover up. And, and, it's, a, and it's also a sign that can be a sign. Not always, because sometimes I, when someone asks me and I just say, yeah, I've been doing this for what year are we now? I think you're 11. I'm 11 years. I just do it out of uh, expediency because I don't want to get into the details. Yeah. But if, if you're having this conversation and considering sitting with somebody, really, and, and you know, uh, did you go through a training with a teacher? I mean, there are people out there who went down to prove and maybe did a month-long Maybe did a month-long training. Maybe didn't even do that. Maybe just did a couple of retreats and came back. They're good musicians, and they decide they can they can uh, they can do medicine work. You know, did you train under a teacher, and how long were you actually with that teacher? Again, versus going back and forth. Mm. Um, how much actual time were you training? And and just for so people have like a benchmark. Can you tell us about the requirements to to graduate your mandala training? Uh, Jess is better because she pays more. I was actually, I put, I put it together, but I can't remember the specifics off the top of my head. It was like 30 dietas or it's 30 dietas to graduate. And, and there's hundred ceremonies. Yeah. At least a hundred ceremonies. But by the time you get to 30 dietas, you're, I mean, Michael, Michael has done over a hundred ceremonies now and he, is, he's, I think 20 dietas. Yeah. Um, so he's not very far off and we know from from being kind of early on in that program that there's a lot of other things that go with that as far as reading i mean we're working with a psychotherapist as well there's um you have kind of require a meditation retreat and a lot of other kind of experiential components as well which, which are not part of a tradition <laughs> like i didn't have to go through right, that down right, right. the jungle um what were <laughs> initially the the training program was to deter people we had so many people coming and wanting to study with us and clearly not understanding what it took to do this work. And so it's like, well, fine, let's just let's lay it out. This is what I had to do from a medicine work standpoint. And we're going to make it even better by requiring thing, these readings. So there's some structural understanding, intellectual understanding. And, and of course, a huge, I mean, experiential is, is super important, but it's important to have right view before you start doing something. Mm -hmm. Why am I doing this? How am I, you know, what's the point kind of thing? And bringing in a psychotherapist because that 
one helps one with integration, but also helps one to see how having a psychotherapist work with guests mm-hmm. can be very helpful. All these different um, readings on different um, spiritual paths so that we can speak different languages. If I've got a Christian person, I can speak to them about Christianity, things in the context of Christianity or in that language. Or if I have someone who's uh, got a yogic background, can do, do that as well, and Buddhist, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, initially it was like, well, let's lay this all out. This is what you're going to have to do to graduate a training program with us. And even at the end of all of this, you're going to have to start off with small groups of like eight people. And there's no guarantees. Mm-hmm. No guarantees. No. You mean we don't get a diploma at the end of this? You don't get a diploma. <laughs> no. The calligraphy name. If, if ayahuasca comes and gives you a diploma... <laughs> It is your. your <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know where my San Diego State diploma is. I don't think it ever got out from under the bed. <laughs> yeah, that's how useful diplomas are. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, and so the whole idea behind this was Mandala at first was just to be like, oh, you want to study the medicine? Here you go. Mm-hmm. This is, this is, and it's frankly, in terms of time with the medicine, not quite as much as I did in my four and a half years down in Peru before I went on my own. I got the go-ahead to go out on my own uh, prior to my departure from Peru. So um, the point, it's kind of in that range. Yeah. And it's still, or it's like your first degree black belt kind of thing uh, yeah. with more study to, to come. Before, before we move on, can we go back to your checklist? Oh, Is yes. There- Okay, so that that's the baseline is what kind of training. Um, and if there's a lineage, definitely would want, particularly in ayahuasca, definitely want a lineage. Um, other plant medicines like um, wachuma and so forth, that's a little bit easier to work around. Then it's, you know, hopefully you have a referral, someone who's worked with them and really can talk to them, um, talk to what their work rather. as in, And it's kind of what, Christ said it's through the fruits of their their labor that you see the you know whether or not is this person more independent after working mm. uh, with this facilitator or are they dependent on them? that's a good question um, yeah. Yeah. Do, do they seem more free in their life do they do they, do they seem to be blossoming versus like being oh my god I got to go back and uh, there's a difference between I have to go back to work with this facilitator as kind of a crutch versus I just love hanging out with them. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I love doing this work with them and I, it, it's super productive. Uh, there, there's that watch for that different kind of language. Um, I like Audrey Marcus's, um, Aubrey, Aubrey. <laughs> Audrey, Marcus. Aubrey Marcus's, um, idea that, you know, if, if, uh, someone does not have a good sense of humor, stay the fuck away from them. They're not good facilities. That can. is such a good advice. Yeah. If they're not fun in some manner. I mean, everybody has their different sorts of sense of humor. But if you can't feel comfortable around with mm. them and joke around with them, probably They not. take themselves too seriously. Yeah. That's yeah. a red flag. Yeah, red flag. And people in general. I mean, how many people <laughs> do you want to hang out with? I mean, I feel like everything you said can be applicable to a lot of things, yeah. not just Absolutely. my medicine. Yeah. I, I want to... I want to just comment on a couple of things. I think one thing that I've heard you guys say is that the mandala training is you've also, yeah, you've designed it to kind of deter people or, you know, prevent too many people from well, showing also up. Also making it the best well-rounded um, facilitator we possibly can. We're it, throwing everything in there. 
and yeah, and I've heard you guys say that what you're aiming for is to the people who graduate from that program are people that you personally would feel comfortable sitting with. Yeah. And to yes. me, that's like, okay, well, that's that's a really high standard. Mm-hmm. And I can I can as someone in your sphere, I agree with that. Like it's like, oh, if Zach and Jess are willing to sit with that person, then I'm I'm okay yeah. to do the same because I there's a trust thing happening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny we've sat with students before they were ready and they may have gotten the wrong idea about that. Mm. So the point is just because we sat with them doesn't mean we've we've given them the the go ahead. The sitting with a student and letting them lead is a kind of like, let's see how this goes. Mm -hmm. And then that helps us figure out where to direct from there. So yeah, that's an important distinction. Yeah. Yeah. And I can think of a particular time we, we sat with a student and all I could think of the entire time that I was receiving was, I really want to give that person the Ventiata right now. <laughs> the whole the whole time. Wow. For those who don't know what a Ventiata is, it, it's when we go over and we actually do some work on them to clean out something mm. that's, that's coming through them. Um, and so, yeah. I, I did. I didn't. It was. It was my. It was my night to receive. So I was like, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I was thinking that the whole time. I almost set up and asked someone else to give a Ventiata, but I. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and I just wanted to reflect on what you said earlier, Zach, about like people uh, having had accusations of re, you know restraining or or, or you know people holding back. people back mm-hmm. and i remember actually that when you were on our podcast last we had that conversation about like the challenge for westerners to have a teacher and and kind of kind of ag- agree to a lineage and a couple of things one is recently we we read a book uh called singing to the plants mm. and it's it was very interesting because there's a lot in your lineage that talks about restraint and and in in that book there was it was called self control and i think hearing it called self control was a really helpful understanding of like oh yeah that's what we're doing we're building up that muscle to have the awareness of when things come up and give a lot of space before we do anything with what with what's coming up because 99% of the time those are things you do not want to act on mm-hmm. you know and so like finding that restraint and so in some ways it's important to hold people back it's important for people to learn to hold themselves back mm-hmm. and until they're ready to understand that as the teachers you have to be the one holding that to some degree mm-hmm. so it's not like oh you're holding people back in a bad way mm-hmm. it's like we're we're creating the safest container for, for you to become a facilitator maybe one day. Mm-hmm. And, and so like reflecting on that and having a lot of appreciation for the way that you guys do that in, in integrity and alignment in kindness too. It doesn't feel like it's like, Hey, shut the fuck up. We don't, you know, like stay in your lane or whatever. It's not like you're putting us down in any way. It's like a, it's just a, this is the path. And going back to this, the Westerners, having a hard time with the teachers, I I actually, one thing, so the mandala started uh, three months ago. And I find that it's not, it's not the work that we do. It's not the books that we read. It's not what's, what's really amplified my experience and like catapulted my growth in the last three months has just been 
having the direct energetical bond of teacher-student. And I think that we've lost that so much that now there's so many facilitators out in the world, not just in plant medicine, that have no relation to any lineage or any mm. teacher. And I think that's so used to looking it up on YouTube these yes. days. Yes. And and I feel like that's so dangerous. And I can see how that's missing. And you know, whenever we whenever I do my work, I feel like we're supported by the entire lineage. Mm-hmm. And it's invaluable to have that. Otherwise, we'd be lost in 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 that process. I agree, and you know, without that student teacher relationship, you might not have known that that self control or that restraint was something that was really important, and also a pitfall if you don't get it done. Mm. If you don't, if you don't cultivate the self mastery, that's a pitfall. Like you wouldn't have seen that hole coming, and, mm-hmm. and that that can be a very deep and dangerous hole. I think back to singing to the plants and there was a portion of it where it was talking about part of self mastery or learning to be a healer rather than a sorcerer is learning to control your darts. Mm. What are the darts? I think really, I I think there's an aspect of truth to it. Um, you know, a physical energetic dart truth. Um, but if we're just thinking of it like metaphorically, the darts are your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And every thought that you have has like thoughts a vibe. combined with emotion. Yes, mm. yes. The thought can run through, and and frankly, emotion can run through. But if you aren't able, if you have a cycling that's directed at someone specifically, that is a strong dart. Shooting darts, right? Yeah. Like, mm. isn't that a saying, or is it shooting na- or staring daggers? Oh yeah, yeah. that's mm. yeah. that's, mm. that's, that's, that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's mal de ojo. Uh, right? That's, uh, yeah, it's the, the evil, evil eye. eye. Mm, and yeah. it's real. Mm, <laughs> Especially when you do a lot of plant medicine work and you start accumulating the, all the juice that that brings. Yeah. You know? Then again, your thoughts, intentions, emotions, everything is amplified. So learning how to digest, digest your darts, mm. right? Internally in your own energetic field so mm. that they're not so that they're not actually vibrating out into form yeah. because the more juice you give them with your energy, like the more form they tend to have. And they talk about that in singing to the plants too, how things can be very rarefied energy or they can become very, very dense, like, mm. like a dart. So mm. it's learning how to digest those things and transmute them in your own field. Mm. This seems like a good time to introduce the idea of the building the bodhicitta body, um, which is also a part of the mandala training and is something that we're actively doing pretty much every day and is a big component about uh, of how you're training facilitators. And I wonder if you could talk about a little bit about what that is and why it's so important. And I want to color that question with anything you guys want to say about your bringing in Eastern concepts into your work, because the lineage that, that you guys come from is purely mestizo shamanism, but it's interesting that you've brought these Eastern philosophies and I see how that's very cool. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyways. Yeah. So 
Well, I'm going to let Zach actually start this one off because you had a realization in the jungle mm. when you were sitting with Gume. Mm. And it was really important for bringing the first aspect of this in, um, which is the fe- feeling your love for God all the time and oh, not right. fighting. <laughs> yeah, I would like to right. hear that okay. story. So, um, I was trying to figure out which story specifically we were talking about. So um, many. So in the jungle, brujeria, witchcraft, uh, in curanderos or curandismo, healing, uh, are often pitted against each other. And they you hear about these shaman fights where they, they go into a ceremony and they're fighting each other on the, the astral yeah, I was when I first went down to the the jungle. I was totally into it. I mean, it really feeds the ego. We're fighting for the good of pura medicina, you know, we're bad brujos, and we're good curanderos. <laughs> ego loves that shit. Um, and um, so we go into ceremony, and uh, almost every time there'd be some sort of fight on the astral, and and. Um, Pretty intense and crazy, but somehow we always won. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you. Good on you. Uh, and uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, as this was all going on, I started to, and this goes to what you're talking about, Eastern traditions. Um, uh, I started to study Eastern thought, particularly Buddhism and, and so forth, and um and particularly non-dual um, approaches to truth, reality, what have you. And so I started to question, like, why are we fighting all the time? This doesn't seem to be working because it just happens over and over and over and over again. If it worked, it would stop at some point. Uh, and um, my teacher, Gulme. In conversation after ceremony, he's like, Zach, if you're ever in a fight with a brujo and he kills you, all you do is focus on God and he'll come back good as new. And I took a moment. I was like, huh. I said, well, why don't we just focus on God all the time and not even get into the fight? And he thought for a second, yeah, that's right. But I like fighting. <laughs> so then I went on the path of, of you know, and it's not to say those energies aren't there. It's not to say that this stuff doesn't happen. Another aspect of it is to, to look into in this space is how much of it of the fight is me having a problem with the other person that bring that comes into. Ceremony with me, and it's just being amplified, and so therefore I'm having this. It's like that argument in your head, uh, or conversation in your head that hasn't happened yet, and this is what I'm going to say. Da, 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 da. Um, so juicy, though. Yeah, that so is great to yeah. dwell on that. So that can be a big part of it, but there is definitely, you know, there are definitely people who are really focusing their envy, their anger, their jealousy at another person and they can pick that up and that can be a problem um the question is is how you deal with it and um you know the the jungle way is to fight it um but there's also i think a way to 
one, protect oneself from, from just uh, general developing the bodhicitta, <laughs> developing, uh, you know, just a general sense of love and well-being and loving kindness for, for, for uh, everything <laughs> um, is a great, great protection, but it's a hard road to get to. And that's, that's why the path of a brujo or a path of a sorcerer or witchcraft is fast and easy. The path of a healer is slow and slow and long. Um, one of the, as I was starting to work with these non-fighting concepts, I um, went to, after I left Peru, I went to a monastery in Northern California as a uh, part of the Ajahn Chah lineage, which some of you might listening might know, Jack Cornfield's teacher. And I talked to the <clears throat> abbot about um, brujos or witchcraft and sorcery and all that sort of thing. He he was like, yeah, I don't really buy it kind of thing. <laughs> but he had his own experience with Ajahn Chah, who's this, some say, uh, Arnhat or uh, enlightened being. He was receiving lay people, you know, seeing the villagers that come visit him. And this villager started coming towards him uh, to talk to him and he just stopped about 10 feet away and could not move. He was literally struggling to move forward, could not move forward, got pushed back and was just kind of in a puddle and his friends had to take him away. And the, all the Thai monks seemed to be like, oh, no big deal. All the foreign monks, which included this Ajahn Pasna, who I was talking to, who told the story, were like, what just happened? And Ajahn Chah was like, well, that guy, he was involved in black magic, witchcraft, and it could, that energy could not get close to me because of loving kindness. It just mm -hmm. couldn't handle the loving kindness. When I heard that, I was just like, that's it. Mm. That is it. Um, and it's, it's, it, the, the, again, the problem is, is developing. Yeah. That's, that's the hard part, uh, as human beings. Ajahn Chah is, you know, particularly advanced. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And I feel like b before you talk about building the bodhicitta body, I just, I feel like this is, this is such a good story. And we've talked about this on our last, uh, group call about, Whenever these energies come and want to fight, even outside, like even in normal life, it's mm -hmm. so juicy, you know, like someone comes in and, and wants to fight, you know, it's like, oh, that sounds like fun. Let's do it. Or, or there's a reaction that's like, I want to move away from it. I'm afraid I want to disappear. But like, there's a reaction to the energy I that wants to fight. Myself. I want to prove myself. Yes. <laughs> and like, there, this, this, this Tressa. Who is who has been on your podcast um, and who's awesome? We have to have her on the podcast as well. Thinking out loud, um, she was saying that she experienced something like that, and and so the the fight, the energy that wanted to fight came in, and then she first reacted, and then she started like kind of relaxing and letting it happen, but it was still trying to get in her sphere. And she was describing how as soon as she decided to like really open and, and be love and let that fighty energy enter that love space, 
it disappeared. Mm -hmm. And it makes so much sense to me because those energies have no interest in being engaged in love and they don't want to be transmuted into love most of the time. They just, I mean, well, you could say that maybe, but I feel like we've, I've had that experience in, in normal life where something like that happened and I just kind of meet it with openness and, and non-judgment and kind of like love. And usually that energy loses interest mm -hmm. and just goes away. Um, so that's just my two cents. I like to think that it actually gets absorbed mm. into it. Like mm. it's, it's so like the, the gravitational pull of love is irresistible and you just, it just gets, mm. it joins with it in a way you, you eat it. Yeah. <laughs> you, di you digest it. And that's one of the, so the key about the bodhicitta body and, and, As we've been talking about Brujeria, I'll just say, yes, I have been attacked in ceremony, you know, both from from energies from outside. Um, well, not outside the circle. They were, they were brought in. Brought but, in, yeah. Usually yeah. It's generally an inside job. It's, we've got protection set up. So that's not, yeah. or, from, or from pasajeros or participants that just don't realize what's, what's there, you know, um, Um, what's, what they're carrying yeah what they're carrying or, or you know i've certainly had people get angry at me for not serving them more medicine and you yeah. know so for example like that happened i someone was angry at me for saying no more medicine um for a really good reason by the way um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and when i told her that and, and she you know i could tell she wasn't super okay with it but then i went back to The mesa and something jumped on my back and started choking me and it had claws and everything. And it was like cu cutting my, my voice off. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was real, like a lot of pressure on my neck. I could feel the claws actually like in my skin. And I was like, okay, this is serious. So I'm no, not panicking, but this is serious. And so I went and sat in front of the mesa and asked for a ventiata. And it was very difficult because it was painful. Um, but what I did in that case was go into and start doing the bodhicitta body practices and basically widening my energetic body so much that there was nothing to hold on to. Like you just become so spacious inside that there's nothing to hold on to. And part of that is cultivating the enlightened heart mind, right? The bodhicitta, that's what it is. Um, and opening and feeling that love, but also expanding the energetic body. And so that's what that practice is there for. It's to, to make your energetic body so wide, so clear, like nothing can hang on. There's so much energy coming through that anything there just gets blasted out or absorbed. Um, and so sometimes that's a, when you initially get hit with an energy, it is difficult because sometimes it is an energy that wants to fight and you, the first reaction is, yeah, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm on. I'm here. <laughs> and then you're like, wait a minute. Oh, no. You're back. And all the, all the pieces of building the bodhicitta body, which by the way is a practice, um, from the Mahayana Buddhism. It is finding all the points of posture coming into the posture, which is super, super important to, to have your central channel open and everything in connection. And it's first embodying and connecting with your body, then coming up to the heart, attending to the heart and then opening, opening, opening the heart. And these practices are all, as we've found, as we've conjoined the two, very supported by the dieta work, which 
naturally by doing the dieta work, you widen your energetic mm. channels mm. and you clean them out. So there's nothing like that resonates. You, you become like the hollow bone. There's nothing to stick to. Mm. I have a question to kind of get us to the end, but on your, on both of your journeys with the medicine and with becoming the hollow bone, what would you say have been your biggest challenge? Like what is the, what has been the, the most challenging thing to maybe let go of to become the hollow bone? If there's anything that comes to mind. <laughs> And if you want to share, obviously. That's a tiny question. That's just an easy question. I know. <laughs> First no, thing that comes to mind, or, you know, like I'm sure there's a lot because it is the hard path, but. Can I go? Yes. Uh, I would say it's a, and it's a continual work of dropping identity. Uh, the first thing that happens uh, on this path with plant medicines is oh, shit, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. So I got to learn it. And the medicine will work with you in that, work with people in that context. But then as that gets peeled back or dropped, the medicine, you go, oh, shit, the medicine flows so much better when I'm not taking credit for it. And one can be like, it's hard to tell because it's like we can be kind of fake humility in front of everyone else. And I catch myself constantly going, reminding, no, it's not you, man. It's it's the medicine. It's God. It's you know, so it's 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 never done. Um, and it's there are moments of embodiment, moments of not being embodied, and get caught up in the in the identity, and just you know, even then getting receiving a title and kind of going, okay, now I'm this, and then then dropping that, and then having it come back in. Um, it's, I'm saying the same thing over and over again. More recently, it's kind of give, giving up the reins on a lot of responsibilities in this this organization that, that uh, we are all a part of. Letting other people do their thing and going, okay, I'm, I'm kind of turning into the old guy in the corner, which is, I've always thought was a cool position, but <laughs> <laughs> never, that transition into that position is a little weird. Um, so, but again, I think it, it, it's that dropping the identity as, as, as time goes on. I think that's the hardest part and continue to be the hardest part. Mm. Yeah, I would, I would say my, my struggles have been a, a similar flavor. At first, the biggest struggle was self-consciousness because when you first start, let's say, singing in ceremony, like you're listening to yourself. And it, it may not be fully empowered with medicine because you're so worried about, well, what are the words or am I doing this right? Or like you, you're observing yourself in a way that you're still involved, like that you're, you're a human person is mm -hmm. still involved. And then just being aware that other people are watching you or experiencing whatever you're doing. It's like, oh, blah, you know, you kind of is a stage fright thing, which will knock you right out of the, the hollow bone. Mm -hmm. Right. And then... And then there's a point where the medicine starts coming up and you lose yourself and they grow and you're gone. But then all of a sudden, you know, you hear some cool sound come out of your voice and, and then the, the human person comes in and, well, that was cool. And then it all stops. <laughs> 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 or let me try to do that again. 
no. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that getting getting the um, the human person or the, the personality out of out of the way such that the medicine can come through. And again, it's that like I'm doing this versus the medicines doing this. Mm. Um, I'm allow I'm allowing myself to be played as an instrument by the medicine and it's not me. Um, and then, you know, there's still like every, and everyone will have to contend with this at some point, but there's like this element of, and I don't consider myself as somebody who's like a chaser of power or really like that easily seduced by power, but there is that there. And it is super seductive, even to somebody who's not attracted to that, it's seductive. So I find sometimes my ego or my mind being pulled into that, like, well, this is cool. What if I could? And then I'm like, mm, mm, nope, <laughs> that's not even going to allow that to, to enter my, enter my awareness. Um, so yeah, just. Do you ever, um, in regards to that first point about letting the medicine come through and, and being kind of self-aware. Are you ever worried it might go the other way where like the medicine kind of comes through so strong that you kind of lose yourself in the medicine to maybe to a point that's like not productive anymore? Like constantly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where over time facing the medicine comes in. Okay. Um, I, I like to tell, and you may have heard the story, um, where it happens on a fair occasion where I am completely blotto. Can't, I'm like, I cannot move. I can barely get through this ikaro, the song that I'm singing. In fact, I'm not even sure if I'm singing. Um, <laughs> um, and then and I'm like, I, I really hope no one needs any help. Um, or if someone does, I'm not the one that goes and helps them. <laughs> um, and then sure enough, someone needs help and I'm the one who has to go help them. And, and then the, the medicine lifts. Mm. I'm able to go, take care of it. Um, sure, it'll be, might be a bit colorful. Um, it's just kind of fun anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, um, but the fear or the concern is still, what if I can't? Mm. Yeah. Oh shit. What mm. if I, what if I lose my shit in a puddle? And then it goes back to identity. Like, how does that look? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, to, to that, to that question as well. Some, I mean, there is sometimes like if I take a particularly large dose, I'm like, Oh, I did it. I did it. But then also because we have such a, capable team and also because the people that come sit with us have been sitting with us for a long time and have done a lot of dietists have done a lot of work the space is super stable mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so if i am meant to do some personal work on a retreat which happens infrequently but sometimes it does happen um if i'm meant to do that i know i'm with i'm with the right people and that i can mm -hmm. um and that the the rest of the team will will help me um, but yeah, I, uh, that's also like the more, the more in the medicine that we can be, the better job is that we can do. I think that's a, it's a good place to stop. Now. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thank you so much. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Jess. Thank you. Thank you. Being here. 
Thank you guys for the beautiful work that you do. And thank you for listening. Thank you. That was a joy. That was so cool. Man, I can't believe it's been a year since I, we last recorded with them. I can't either. If, um, actually, if you want to hear about the journey of the last year plus, uh, we recorded an episode with Jess on their podcast about what it's been like for us and our journey with them and with our studies of these medicines. Yeah, that's going to be on the Heal Your Tribe podcast. You can find it on SoundCloud, I believe. And if the episode is out by the time this episode comes out, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. The yeah. show notes live at the far out life, by yeah. the way, if you didn't know. If you didn't know, now you know. Now you know. There's a few ways you can support this podcast. The first is share it with a friend. Please do. Someone it's who might find this interesting. And you know you know, some people will find it. So yeah, you've got a couple cool friends. Yeah, you We'd do. like to be friends with those friends as well. <laughs> All right, stop holding out. All right. Number two is you can support us financially. Mm -hmm. You can send us money. Because that helps this podcast keep going. It does. It really does. It's a labor of love. We've been doing it for years. Yeah. And those that support us. Um, the MVPs. Yeah, well, the MVPs. we love you all, but we particularly love them. <laughs> because they help us keep doing this. So it, you can go to patreon.com slash the far out couple and become a patron at your leisure. Yeah. It would be our honor. And at if your you leisure, make, but... If you want to make a one-time donation, that's also possible. We actually have a link to do that in the show notes. And while you're over on the show notes, we also have a link to purchase some fair trade, organic, awesome, bomb cacao. It's yeah. the only way we start the day. And when there's no cacao smell in the morning, life is dull. Every podcast you've heard has been fueled by cacao. We drink it religiously before every podcast. Time. We love the stuff. Uh, there's a lot to say about cacao. We've said it many times. But if you'd like to get your hands on some of that, portion of the proceeds uh, go to supporting... A well, portion of the proceeds will, will make its way back to the local farmers in Guatemala doing this work of bringing cacao to the people. And a portion of it will also go to supporting this podcast. So win, 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 win. It's a lot of wins. It's our pleasure and honor. There's and one last way to support this podcast. And this one is to leave a review at Apple Podcasts. If you're feeling like we might be talking to you right now, we are. So please, it's really, really helpful. And we haven't had a review for a little while, so it'd be really nice to see a fresh new name that yeah. we get to read on a future episode of the podcast. It's my favorite thing to read the reviews on the podcast. All right, we're done here, and we're out. Toodles. Toodles.